Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. He's been here. been there. Magic down the middle, just what I thought. A hook shot at 12. Good! He's been everywhere. Shot from there and a save and a rebound. Score! Yes! Kings win the cup! Sobel. That's one small step for man. Ted Sobel. One giant leap for man. The man, the myth, the legend. What the hell's going on out here? Now, one-on-one with Ted Sobel. And joining us here on Touching Greatness this week, it's football time for the playoffs. We've got to have a football guy. Got to have the hardest-hitting football guy who ever walked the planet. Right, Doug Plank? Well, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you're the hammer, you're the nail. Sometimes, most times I was the hammer, but sometimes I was also the nail. <laughs> I love that. Well, a little background on Doug Plank for those of you uh, uh, children out there who don't remember him. <laughs> Three Big Ten titles at Ohio State, three straight Rose Bowls under Woody Hayes, and then a great career with the Chicago Bears, and under Coach Buddy Ryan was named the 46 defense and just happened to be a coincidence. That was Doug Plank's number. Doug, what do you remember about uh, Coach Ryan and when he called it that? Did he come to you and call you in his office and say, or is this something evolved or what? You know, if anybody knew Coach Ryan, he never asked anybody. (laughs) He told you what was going to happen. And we came into the meeting room one day, and uh, this was approximately, I would say, 78, 79, somewhere in that period of time. And uh, he he, he always was creating blitzes and coverages and things like that, unorthodox. You would never see them anywhere else in the league. And and I asked him, you know, when when I first got there, I said, but why all the different uh, configurations? He said, because we do not have the team that the Minnesota Vikings had. They had the fearsome foursome, the four guys, yep. you know, Alan Page and, you know, all those guys that were just great players that were ultimately in the, in the Hall of Fame. And, uh, you know, really good linebackers. And so he said, you know, I've got to do some things. I've got to create pressure on the quarterback. And one day we came in and he had his defense drawn on the board. But it was very unorthodox. He had slid the defensive line down towards the weak side, and he put two linebackers over top of the tight end. And then he had myself and, you know, Jeff Fisher was another safety from USC. Uh, He he was playing the weak linebacker side, and then we had three defensive backs, Gary Fensick in the middle at the free safety position. And he said, this is going to be a second and long in the third down defense. And we've got the capacity to this is the run defense. Uh, he liked it because I was I was basically uh, a linebacker playing free safety when I first got there, and uh, he said, "Doug, you're going to have all the action you want right now. You're going to be uh, two feet away from the line of scrimmage. You can take on guards. You can do all these wonderful things that you've always wanted to do." And so, and he drew everything up on the board. But Buddy was not an X's and O's guy. In other words. You know, different positions, most coaches, when they draw, they drew things on the board, they put players down as X's or O's, right. like on offense. But he put your number down. He wanted it to be very specific. So all this board was nothing but numbers. But And, and the linebacker we had, Otis Wilson, I think at the time said, Buddy, what are you going to call this? Buddy was for calling using everybody's, you know, you were either a number or an adjective. <laughs> and the adjectives were not very complimentary. So you loved and you wanted to be called a number. So 
when he looked at the board, he grabbed the chalk and he circled my number three times and he says, we're going to call this the 46 defense. Now, a lot of the things that we had in our scheme, we had blitzes and different coverages that he named after players. And the reason why he did that, it was very easy to, to recall it. In other words, you wouldn't conf- I would never confuse the 46 defense. I knew my butt was up there on the front line. I was right. a middle linebacker. I wasn't having any problem. Be, where, where do I line up? I line up the middle linebacker. What Biddy Buddy did, though, uh, we had six man, we had a six man line, and every offensive lineman was covered. In other words, he had a defensive lineman or a linebacker over top of him. So the old days of middle linebackers fighting off blocks like Dick Butkus and yeah. going and getting the ball carrier, I never had to do that, Ted. I never had to defeat a block because all these linemen and linebackers, they're the ones that defeated the linemen. I just ran to the ball. Interesting. Whether it was out in the flat, whether I was running uh, blitzes, I really just I ran free until I was either picked up by a back in the backfield or I hit the quarterback. And the first time that we literally ran at the whole game was in 1981 against Dan Fouts and the Chargers. And they came into this soldier field, and they had never seen anything like this. And it was a perfect defense because we never huddled. We were like the offense. Uh, Dan Fouts, Coriel's offense, the offense coordinator, um, they just simply lined up. They never huddled. Right. They just do it a little like, like today's football. Everything was called by the quarterback. And it was the perfect defense because we were doing the same thing. Our calls were all automatic. We had, we had went into each game and memorized all the coverages and the lineups we were going to do on the line against whatever down and distance and formation that they had. So we literally called our own game. The coach, Buddy Ryan, never called any plays in that game. It was, it was myself and Fensick, the other safety. Yep. We called all the alignments and all the coverages. The hitmen, you guys were called. <laughs> you know, what was it meant because it was so much fun. Think about this. Every, every blocker was covered. So that meant I could go to anywhere I wanted, you know, hit a receiver, hit the quarterback, you know, on blitzes. I mean, that's why. And so finally, you know, not that year, but a couple of years later, I suffered an injury, a spinal concussion. And, you know, I, I flunk a physical. So Buddy Ryan says, you know what, Doug? You've had a really good career here in Chicago. He goes, but you know what? I'm going to make it something special. He goes, you're not going to be here, but the 46 defense is, and this thing is going to the Super Bowl. Wow. This is like in 82, 83. That's uh, awesome. I've and, never heard that before. Yes. Uh, he And I just laugh. I go, well, buddy, I'll be out there cheering for it. <laughs> Lo and behold, the 46 defense rolls out in 1985. I mean, it, it, they were using it in 82, 83, 84. But uh, it hit its really peak in '85, yep. and um, this was almost unstoppable. And I, I say, you know, even before that year began, we had two all-pro players, Al Harris and Todd Bell, who had been all-pro in, in years previous. They decided to sit out that year. And you think about this, you know, they were replaced by two guys. Dave Durbin came in at the uh, linebacker position. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken. Richard Dent, you know, took what was Al Harris's position, and um, man, uh, Wilbur Marshall, Otis Wilson, Mike Singletary, a linebacker, um, Fridge, and uh, Richard Dent, Dan Hampton, Mike Hart. I mean, they just had a group of guys that were great by themselves. But then you put a special uh, scheme on top of it; they were unstoppable. 
It was truly one of the great defenses in the history of the game. Uh, just the fact that Buddy Ryan is not known for, well, let's just say uh, he's not a softy in any way, right? Would that surprise you a little bit? He called you aside and said, hey, we're just going to keep the 46 defense named after you because I'm trying to picture him doing that and I can't do it. No, you know what? And, and I played, he loved, loved to play racquetball. And so I played racquetball with him one day. This is after I had just been let go. Right. And, uh, Actually, you know, so we played this game, and afterwards he said, Doug, you know, you, you had a great career. I really appreciate everything you did for us. And uh, he said, but we're keeping this, and That's this awesome. is not going anywhere. And it's funny, even when Buddy left, they still ran the 46 defense, but they called it something else. They still ran all the blitzes and all the coverages, but they, they tweaked it a little bit. Uh, Vince Tobin, who came in as a defense coordinator, sure. um, it was never the same because – you know, you you can have the same plays in a book, Ted. But the, the teacher makes everything different. The teacher can motivate people to act a certain way like crazy people, and that's what Buddy Ryan had the ability to just get it like in a feverish pitch. And you would you would you know you would run around on that field like you would do anything for the guy. Yeah. And you know there were a few times he was a really really tough guy, and one game. We lost it very close at the end, and some of the guys that he really counted on didn't play very well that day, and uh, he just stood in front of us, and he said, most of you knuckleheads, you know, he said, I know you're going to make mistakes, I know you're not going to play well, but there's a few guys in here that I trust and I count on to be doing the right things and making the right decisions, and he said, when, when those guys don't do that, he said, it hurts, and he kept staring at us, and there was nothing said after that. And you could just see tears rolling down his face. Wow! That that was the buy-in moment for everybody I on that bet. team. And that wasn't was acting it. either, was it? No, <laughs> no. Because here's the guy, the Korean Sergeant Army Sergeant, <laughs> yes. that had just torn us apart for two years. Wow! And that's the first time I think that everybody realized, hey, he cares. He cares. And you know, it's like it was one of those things, like some of those meeting rooms where. The coach says something, and then look out. The tables and chairs are getting turned over, and they're punching the holes in the wall. That was kind of that moment. It was just like everybody went storming out of that meeting. And you know what? I'm not saying we didn't make mistakes after that. But they were at full speed, 100% maximum effort, and nobody, I mean nobody, let down. One play in the game, it didn't happen because if you came back to that huddle, and you blew an assignment or you failed to do what you were supposed to do, those other 10 guys would look at you like, why? Why didn't you do it? So, you know, it's one of those things that, so now, now I think we had the best scheme in the world, but now he also, everybody was drinking the Kool-Aid. Everyone said, hey, I'm on board 100%. I'm, my life depends on it. I got it. Doug, you know that I've been around all sports forever, and I, to this day, say no other sport is affected by a coach than football, uh, is more affected by a coach, because just the fact that it's it's a different kind of a team game. I, I mean, even hockey and, and, you know, baseball, you can shuffle in managers in and out as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you still have to hit the ball. You have to do this. You know, every sport has their own little thing going. But to me, football, you got to have the guy who's going to motivate you at the peak. I agree with you 100%, Ted. There are so many great coaches out there. Um, and, and there's also so many uh, terrible coaches. Sure. And I, and I, I, a terrible coach puts in just as much time as a great coach. 
But here's the difference. A terrible coach can never reach out and communicate with a team. A great coach can. And a great coach with a lesser scheme, with lesser skills, lesser knowledge about the game, he can impart energy, enthusiasm, emotion, emotion into the game that another coach can't do. And this coach might be the greatest coach in terms of X's and O's and schemes and all those sort of things. But if you don't have that person behind it, you know, it's true in football. You know, I, I compare it a lot to, you know, in the military, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody's saying, listen, you're going to have to put your life, your, uh, your well-being at risk. Uh, for what we're going to try to do, have you do, you know, like in, in army situations. And sometimes guys will do it, sometimes they won't. But when Buddy Ryan was done talking, there was like silence in the room. Wow. And you just felt this incredible urge inside of you, hey, let's go. And I'm going to do anything I can. I, I found once Buddy Ryan got there, and I, and I had some great coaches, Woody Hayes and sure. – uh, Jack Pardee was my first coach in Chicago, a great defensive line. Uh, but I, I never had a coach that can impart the emotion. And that's, that's you know, Woody Hayes at Ohio State, uh, you know, all that sort of thing. Because mm-hmm. Buddy was really talking directly to us. And, you know, even, you know, it's, a, it's amazing sometimes. You know, he was so honest. There were some games after we had lost or something. And... One time he got up in front of our defensive group and he said, before I say anything, I want to apologize to a player that's on this team, on this defensive unit. And he named the name and he said, you know, I gave him more responsibility than he should have had. I said, he just, he wasn't, he wasn't physically capable of doing what I was asking him to do. And he said, that's on me. He said, so uh, I don't want anybody in this room taking responsibility for that. That's a mistake that I made. And, wow, I've never heard a coach say that ever (laughs) in my life. You know, that it was on him. And uh, so Buddy never asked you to do anything that you you couldn't do. And and he would even challenge you during the week. He just said, I remember when we played Earl Campbell a couple couple times, and Earl ran over like four guys. In fact, we saw that one – we played – Against him the year that he ran over was Isaiah Robertson. Yeah, I think the Rams. so. He, yeah. he ducked his head down and just fat flat hit him in his chest and ran over him. And uh, we saw that. And Buddy turned the projector off the camera. And he goes, "Is there anybody in this room that doesn't want to play this week? I need to know today." Wow. So I can get his replacement. And there was just silence. Nobody was laughing. Nothing. I mean, and so he put the projector back on. And it's like, the room was so quiet. I mean, you know, usually guys are chewing tobacco or something, chewing on Hershey bars or whatever. And, I mean, just absolute silence. But, you know, he had the ability to take the team to those places where you just said, I I, I will never let you down. You know, I might get blocked. I might, you know, get knocked knocked over or whatever. But I'm going to get back up. You know, that was the other thing, too. Once you got knocked on the ground, man, how fast can you get back up on your feet? I used to practice, Ted, rolling each practice. I, I would act like I got knocked down. This is not during practice, but I would just practice this so that when I got knocked off my feet, I would just go into a roll and get me back on my feet in a split second. Yeah, well, doing, you, you know, can get back into the play somehow, right? 
Exactly, because you know why? I was going to have to explain this on the film Monday morning to Buddy and the rest of the team. Yes. And so it wasn't that you got knocked down. You didn't stay down. You got back up as fast as you could. And Buddy was really into sacrificing yourself to taking out blockers. And a lot of times, you know, the action would come around the sweep or something. There would be a guard and a tackle. You know what? I, I'm going to take them both out. You know, come up and just, wow. you know, turn, you know, run into the, their hips or knees or whatever and just cut them out knowing that you've got another defender behind you that can come in and make the tackle. And uh, so it was all about sacrifice. And like you said, Ted, I don't think there's a game out there right now, a sport, that compares to life, the life lessons that you learn in football. It's the ultimate buy-in is what it is, right? The ultimate buy-in. You, I mean, it's potentially you could lose your life in a bad hit, in sure. a bad time, if you were hit just right, or, or paralysis. So it wasn't like you were out there playing checkers. It wasn't like, you know, you're playing uh, – I don't know, Tilly Winks or basketball. Especially or in those days. No. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, you know, when I first got to the NFL, it was amazing how, you know, in college, just if the, play, if, if the player even was going down, you would start hearing whistles. You know, because <laughs> in college it's different. Down, the player touches the field down, whatever, he's, it plays over. In the NFL, totally different situation. I kept thinking – and they always said, run to the ball and don't stop till you hear the, hear the whistle. And, you know, I'm even amazed today at watching teams that players quit before the play is over. They stop, they look at the play, what's happening. Hey, listen, we were just told to just keep going. Don't stop. Um, you know, that, that, that play is not over till it's over. And, uh, and what might look like, hey, you hit the guy kind of late. No, there was no whistle. He, he was still on his feet, and it was just a total difference from playing in Ohio State. I know it drives you crazy, Doug. I can hear you on the radio on our Sports USA calls and, and even off the air that uh, if the guys don't give it 1,000%, you want to just strangle them. <laughs> you know what it is, too? I don't know. There's something, Ted, about, you know, it's like the guy that used to look across, be across the huddle for me was Dan Hampton, yep. and I would see this look on Dan Hampton's face. I'm serious. It looked like something out of Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I mean, Big nose, I mean, just big cheekbones, just a man's man. And when he'd come back, he'd get back in that huddle, and Dan played through injuries like you can't imagine. Fingers mangled all in different directions, and, yeah. you know, he would get hit and everything. But I, I've never seen a guy just injured, hurt, never, ever stop. I mean, just kept going. And uh, I remember his rookie year, I've never seen this. A guy tried to block him. He, he got two steps, uh, lead, a charge. And there was like a guy coming from the other side, like a trap play to try to pick him up. And he just picked up this guard that weighed 265 or 70 and just picked him up and ran back to the quarterback with him. Just, he just picked the guy up like a, like a, like a, uh, you know, like a, um, a shovel, you know, just <laughs> got underneath him and just, they both went to the quarterback and, it was incredible. So the last thing you ever wanted to do was not have a good play to get back to that huddle. Did have Dan Hampton look at you like, Doug, why didn't you do that? You know, what was the problem? And so and it, it was so it was energy, synergy, whatever you want to call it, that guys would do anything for each other. You know, there was really a commitment. 
It's a pleasure to have my Sports USA colleague Doug Plank on Touching Greatness this week. And Doug, uh, I'm wondering, is there any player that you can relate to nowadays that was the ultimate rover on defense, sort of like what you used to do? Not really. I mean, there was a guy after me, a guy by the name of Chuck Cecil, you know, that played at the University of Arizona. I remember. He was one of the dirty players, right? (laughs) Well, that's what he was famous for. He was he was a cruise missile too. I mean, I, I saw him hit people, break his nose. I broke my nose several times. Uh, one thing, you know, him and I, I, I talked with him a couple times afterwards, and there was just, you know, it's funny. Uh, Gary Spencer came in a year after I did. He was at one thing Yale, was a receiver, and uh, got initially drafted by the Dolphins and got cut. He said, Doug, when I got to the Bears, I, I had no idea what this was, and he said, I just watched you and these other guys. And I learned how to play defense in Chicago. And that was total intimidation. Hit everybody you can. And I remember Gary and I a couple times, even we lost games. Now, we weren't doing this in front of the coaches, but we would, like, high-five each other because we led the team in tackles, either him or I. We led the team in interceptions, mostly him. And uh, we just said, you know what? We did lose this game, but you know what? There's a whole bunch of people over in that locker room for Tampa Bay right now that are limping and sore, and are going to be in the tub, you know, by the time the sun goes down. And there was almost like a, a joy of satisfaction just in knowing that you, you physically just took it to the other team. You didn't win the game, but you know what? You weren't in charge of scoring. So it's hard to score on defense. So, you know, the offense had to bear some of that responsibility. But, um, you know, certainly the people that you're around, the impact – you know, I learned that lesson, Ted, and the rest of my life, I always tried to associate with the smartest, biggest, baddest crew I could that would <laughs> set, you know, set the stage yeah. and set parameters that this is what it's going to take for you to survive and have success. And uh, that, that was tremendous motivation to have people like that around you every day. But you mentioned Chuck C, so that's obviously from a, an era gone by, but I'm thinking more today. Is there is the game played so much differently that you couldn't have a guy like you out there, or is that possible? You know, sometimes um, people ask me to sign photographs, but other people sometimes send me CDs to sign of games that I played in. And I'll watch them for a few minutes, and uh, I'm, I'm just thinking, I, I'm not an official, uh, but, you know, I was a coach uh, in college and in the NFL and in the Arena League, and I think really just watching the way I would play today, I guess people would call it targeting. You know, right. and I was told one time when I ran to the ball carrier and he went down at the last second, I didn't hit him, but I flew over the pile. And I didn't really hit anybody, but I was called, I was called for unnecessary roughness 15 yards. And I went over and I told the... How is um, that possible? <laughs> no, I told the official, I go, I didn't even hit anybody. But it was, Ted, you know, when you're running at full speed, it's like bang, bang. And when right. the guy goes down and you go flying just inches above him, it looks like you may have hit him, even though you didn't. Wow. And, and he said, well, I'm calling a foul on you because you had bad intentions. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was in Tampa. And I said... You're right. I did have bad intentions, but I didn't hit anybody. He goes, doesn't matter. I'm, I'm throwing the flag. Okay, so depending how bad on. your intentions are, it could have been 10 or 15 yards. Yeah, <laughs> he, exactly. Judge your and intentions. I was fine one time in the league uh, for hitting a tight end. 
that uh, <laughs> it was a bang bang play. He caught the ball. He, he the ball hit his hands, and then I hit him. But you know, I hit him with my helmet, which was allowed at the time, and right. so there was no penalties called. But I was called. I got a letter a few days later from the commissioner fining me ten thousand wow. dollars for a hit, and um, I eventually had to go to New York and show him that you know this was bang bang play, and if you slow things down. You know, you can make anybody look guilty. You know, sure. you could say, why did he do that? Why did he reach out there and, you know, push him in the back or whatever? You know, it's just, it's reality. And you're playing a fast game that these guys are getting bigger and faster all the time. And you're just making split decisions. So it's really, really hard to defend yourself when somebody has a technological advantage and is slowing things down, saying, Doug, you have plenty of time to avoid that hit. Uh, you know, then you think back in the game. No, I had no time. It was so fast. Of course. All of a sudden, I turned around, and there was this person in front of me running full speed. What was I supposed to do? Um, so it's, but you know, I, I really appreciate the players today. I, you know, because I think they're doing they're doing unbelievable things. They're very athletic, and uh, they're trying to make split last minute decisions. You know, in terms of moving their head around or hitting another player in a allowable area, and. Um, you know, it's just it's just more and more difficulty, I think, you know, in terms of things that you're thinking about each and every play. So when you were in New York with the commissioner, were you sitting in a room with him looking at the film? Yeah, there was uh, probably there was four or five other player people in there, other executives. They were in that room watching that film, and they slowed it way down. And, of course, uh, it, uh, it, it definitely looks like I had the ability to make a decision, you know, because I took another step. At this moment he caught the ball, you know, I was maybe one step away from him, from hitting him. But I was running full speed, you know, and, so, and he was running full speed. Of course. And, you know, you're right at each other. And, um, you know, and at the time, you know, I had had broken ribs and things like that in the previous week. Uh, and so I wasn't really trying to grab people that night because extreme pain. You know, if okay. anybody's ever broken ribs... You, you, by the time you reach your arms out and you're trying to grab someone, it's extremely painful. And you can't so even breathe, tried, right? You can't breathe normally. You can't breathe. Honestly, you can't breathe. I was just trying to run over everybody all night, Ted. <laughs> and I told the coaches that. They were okay with it because usually if I just ran over somebody, he went down anyway. And so, I mean, really, when you're going full speed, using your arms is just, uh, that's ridiculous. Because if you put your arms out running full speed and the other person's running full speed, you're going to separate shoulders. You know, those, those arms are just going to get caught up and torn with your elbows. Uh, I just look at it this way. My career was over. I needed to replace both my shoulders and both my knees, wow. which I had done with titanium. And I'm thinking, you know what? My head was in the middle of those shoulders. What, what do I need to do with my head? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm still thankful that I can still talk and walk. Oh, of course. I sustained a lot of hits with my helmet. Wow, you are the bionic man. There's no doubt about that. Were you with, uh, was that uh, Pete Rosell then, right? Was the commissioner? Pete Rosell, that's yeah. exactly right. So, yep. so do you remember anything at all that he said at the time? I mean, he was in the room there with you. Is he pointing at you or is he, or is he just overseeing it? He never raised his voice. I sat at one of these tables, Ted, you walk into, I bet the room was maybe 100 feet long, wow. and the table was maybe 75 feet long. So it's like a conference I could room. Barely, 
I could barely see Pete Rosell at the other end of the okay. <laughs> at the end of the table, and there were probably five individuals on each side of that table. It looked like I was negotiating a peace <laughs> treaty with China um, at one of those tables. I mean, oh my gosh, it was so far away. It's almost like hello down there. You know, it's like, um, and that's great. So we looked at these films, and you know, and the other thing too is I think um, you know you were. Uh, there were certain things that were just approved back then more in the world of like painkillers and things like that, which players took. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that all those things came into play. I really probably shouldn't even play in that game based on the situation with my ribs, but I did, I sacrificed. And, but with that, I had to take some sedatives to be able to play in that game. So, I mean, it truly was a day out of the old ages where, uh, you got stitched up, whether it was at halftime, go into the locker room, uh, something hurts, you, you take these pain pills, um, you know, Novocaine, Xylocaine, that was another uh, painkiller. All those things were pretty normal. And, uh, and when people went in those tents back in the 70s and 80s, they weren't talking about anything. They were getting drained or injected wow. with something so they, they can go back out there and play in the game. We'll get back to Doug in just a second, but we have some priorities here on the Believe Podcast Network, and it's time to talk about Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. How is that for a rhyme? It's 2020, and you know what that means. New year, new me, new balls? That's right, men. Listen up. Those hairy bushes are so 2019. If you're going to pick any New Year's resolution this year, let it be take care of your junk. Manscaped, making it easy with their grooming products. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts, which really would be a great song title. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past, and don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just dirty. Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing bowl deodorant and moisturizer you already put deodorant on your armpits. Why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest parts of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at manscaped.com. Start the new year off the right way by using the best tools for the job. Guys, your balls will thank you. Back to you, Dougie. What a segue. Now more with Doug Plank. And, Doug, you're a two-time Arena League Coach of the Year, so have the Dallas Cowboys called you yet? <laughs> no. But that wouldn't be a bad choice. I, I, it'd be hard to leave you guys at Sports USA, though, Ted. And so, well, we'd have to get you on the air more often to do the Cowboys games every other week. <laughs> no, you know what? And sometimes you you really do miss coaching, having an impact with other people, and being able to share things with them. You know, on the other hand, though, I really appreciate the coaches the time that they give because you know that time. There's only so much in life. You only have so much time. And to spend the majority of your time, uh, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s with uh, football organizations, you're taking time away from your families. And so that, that is the, probably the biggest reason why I think making the decision to coach is one you've got to really do very carefully because, um, you know, you're giving it to one group and you're taking away from another, which is your family. 
Well, as a coach yourself, you're the perfect person to ask about. Jason Garrett is finally out after nine seasons there. Uh, I'm wondering how difficult would it be, if it is at all, to have Jerry Jones as your boss, who is going to give you everything you need to win, except for he is a demanding guy where he needs to be in the spotlight more than maybe any owner of all time. I think that's very true, and you know, I, I know a lot of people felt sorry for Jason Garrett, but what you said, Ted, was so true. He gave him everything possible, including players, yep. facilities, fans, media attention. You go on and on and on. I Would Jason Garrett be the same visible coach if he was somewhere else in the National Football League? Absolutely I not. Mention any team. Absolutely not. And you could add up the next 31 teams. Yeah. Um, he he would not be visible, not even half as visible. And so I truly believe that the owner of the Dallas Cowboys feels that their team should have done better for the fans, for the NFL, for all the people and all the time and energy and money that was devoted to that football team. And I just think that, you know, that was a decision that we knew that was coming. You know, even though there were some reports weeks ago that things weren't going to change, right. and, you know, everything was going to be it the had same. To happen. You, you just knew that this, there's no way this was going to stay the way it was. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is I, I truly believe this. When I'm a player, I want to see some energy from my coach on the sideline. Yep. You know, he doesn't have to be running around screaming and hitting guys or anything like that. But, you know, if you watch Buddy Ryan, Buddy Ryan was, like, standing there like, well, that guy's not doing anything. Yeah, when you got close to him, he he, <laughs> he told you things uh, that you were supposed to do and with an attitude and effort and all those sort of things. And even though it didn't look like he was doing much, he was doing a, a great deal because so many things were coming out of his mouth simultaneously. Um, I mean, he would question it with that. You know, he he was two two groups of people he really disliked. Cowards, people that didn't really want to play football, and rookies. And that's the two groups. <laughs> okay. If you were one of those groups, look out, because you were probably not going to be on the team very long. Yeah. And I remember guys uh, making business decisions during a game. In other words, that means don't hit someone, save your body for another week. Um, Buddy would see that on film and say, you're gone. You're not even going to be around here. In fact, get out of the office right now. You know, just get out of here. And, I mean, he just really, usually sometimes they wouldn't make it to, they, they wouldn't make it to the Monday meeting where we'd see the video, but if it was really bad, they would already be on their way home. So if you're an elite coach, a big name, just throw out a name like Urban Meyer, are you the type of guy who's going to allow – yourself to work for a Jerry Jones type saying, hey, I can't deal with this every day. He's too much of a distraction. I, I really doubt it. Um, I'm not saying I don't know Jerry Jones. I, I know Urban Meyer a little bit yep. from having a, just a couple conversations with sure. him. I, I just, and just in that time period, it's hard to make a decision. Like, like I know everything about him. I think it would be very hard for a, a very successful coach that has shown determination and uh, willingness to do whatever it takes to win uh, within the rules. I mean, I think Urban Meyer is a great coach. I think he's got a lot of incredible knowledge. You can tell really good coaches, Ted, by where they go. And they can, if they can be successful in other locations, can you go to Florida? Can you go to Utah? 
You know, can you come up to Ohio State? I mean, those are all big challenges, all different. You know, other parts of the country totally treat football differently, I think, in terms of the organizations, the demands, what's expected. And he's succeeded at every one of those locations. Now, I know he's got some issues, you know, as far as health-wise and things like that. Hey, we, we all got health issues. I, I got I got a whole list of health issues myself. <laughs> yes, I know. So it happens, it happens to everybody. But from what I've seen in my conversations with Coach Meyer, I, I, I truly believe I, I would love to have him as a coach. You know, the, what he does in terms of, you know, how he motivates the players and, you know, he, that – even being an announcer this year, I thought he did an unbelievable job in explaining a lot of things that were happening on the field in very plain English so everyone could understand it. And, you know, here's the other thing I love about the guy. He doesn't hire his friends. He hires the best coaches available. There are many coaches out there right now that take their friends from around the, around the league to different locations, and they're doing themselves a disservice because they – they should be hiring a better coach. And I, and I hate to say that, but, you know, you'd, you'd rather have the best coach coaching whatever your position coach is, the offensive linemen, the defensive backs, the linebackers, whatever, versus your friends because it's hard to fire your friends. Of course, of course. But, but, you but, Doug, but Doug, at Ohio State, the one issue that uh, Urban Meyer had the last couple of seasons was his friend who he never, just say, outed with his personal issues, that became the biggest problem there, though. So that that is yeah, well, sort of the other what? side of that. Yes, I mean, you know, still, here's the problem you have. When, okay, he's your friend, but he's also still a very good coach. And now, all of a sudden, what happens when a situation like you were just describing comes up? Yeah. Uh, are you going to act and treat him like another person, or are you going to treat him like somebody that is a, uh, a friend, a fellow coach that's been coaching for you a number of years. I do think in the NCAA there's much more rules and uh, other considerations that a coach has to deal with. And I think the sooner that you take care of those issues and problems, to give you an example, Ted, when I was a coach in Atlanta, I, they signed a contract for how much money they were going to make each year. But then I, I made them sign a personal services contract, which had nothing to do with money. It just was for their behavior, right? You know that they and there are certain things that I outlined, and the whole thing was about thirty some pages. But I just listed and detailed things that would be violate their uh, position on the team, their status on the team, and it had to do with getting arrested and you know and driving recklessly and just just other things. Living up to standards, would, right? Living, yes, and. And finally, the capper would be any conduct detrimental toward the team. And I was instructed by the owner at that time, Arthur Blank, to, Doug, you know, we want to we want to have a team here, but most importantly, we want to have a team that we can respect, and they're proud. We're proud of them. And he said, I don't want anybody here doing anything that I wouldn't be proud of. So I never would give a person a second chance or a third chance. I know that's un-American, but you know what? When you're told up front what it is to do and not do, and you go ahead and voluntarily uh, are guilty of those those events, those those issues, then I feel like you know this is not you know when you get beat for a touchdown pass. I'm sorry, you probably don't get a second chance. <laughs> you know it's 
somebody's going to replace you. You're going to, you're going to be off the field. And the same thing is true with your behavior and your reflection on not, to, not just you, but you, the whole organization. Yeah, and, and representing you, too, as a person, as a coach, and your franchise, and your city. Yes, you, that's exactly it. It spills over in so many ways, and there's nothing like one time when a player would violate that contract of conduct and you already had all these things in a box and the players came in the next day and not, and he, his locker was empty, it sent a message that, that nothing is going to be tolerated, no matter who you are. And so you're going to have to, and you, they signed this thing and dated it. And uh, my point is, take the responsibility, like in college right now, and anything that happens at university, they always look at the head coach, it's his fault, it's his fault, it's his fault. Maybe it might have been his fault. But you know what? Many times it wasn't. And, you know, it's hard to keep track of all the players in college because the roster is much bigger than even in the NFL. And trying to keep – and then all of a sudden you get notified or someone sends you an email or a text or whatever that maybe you don't see. I'll be honest with you. I didn't answer every phone message that ever came into my phone when I coached. I didn't have time. I would go through it and just try to delete it as fast as I could. Delete, 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 delete. (laughs) Well, in one of those, there might have been somebody that said – I'd like to talk to you about a matter. Sure. Maybe not exactly what it was, but, oh, yeah, I deleted that. Well, but it was still sent to your phone, so you should have known about it. And I just think that at the very beginning, there should be a department set up, human resources, that says if you have any issues off off the field, you call this number. This is a university number. You call this number, and you make a report. And it, the head coach, he's there long enough already. You know, he, he's not in human resources. He doesn't have time to do interviews and conversations and, you know, bringing in facts and figures. And That's all correct, Doug, but as you know, you're the CEO, so it always comes down to being your responsible. It does. It really does. And, and you know what, because it, it does uh, reflect negatively on you. And it's Just life. You know, it what are looks, you going to do? Yeah, it looks like you're hiding something. And, you know, I can understand some coaches that if they got really, really good players, they're going to be trying to try to uh, be with them and be a little reasonable. But on the other hand, you have to understand that, you know, you're you're at risk. And there's nothing anybody else would like to do than try to pin you with any other bad behavior, whoever it was. Maybe it was a, a ball boy or you know, an assistant coach or somebody that works for the, you know, there's a whole lot of people that work for the athletic department that maybe aren't assigned to any one specific sport, but they're there. And, you know, so the moment that you get something, either an email, a telephone call, uh, a letter, you know, you, it's in your best interest if to notify, either do something and, and start the process uh, saying, yes, I've gotten your notice. And uh, we are going to try to do everything we can as quick as possible to resolve this issue. And now we need to take a break and talk about my bookie. Christmas has come and gone, but the Super Bowl is quickly approaching. We've seen just what our teams are capable of this season, and now it's time to get your last bets in before the bowl. 
Will the Ravens be able to get it done? Will Brady and the Patriots get themselves another ring? I bet you have a feeling. Head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. MyBookie, one of the most trusted in the industry. And if you're looking for a sports book to make some bets for the bowl games, MyBookie is where you want to go. Football not your thing? No worries. MyBookie's got it all from the NBA to the Premier League. They've got the fastest payouts, best promotions, and a very helpful 24-7 customer service team. You can even pull your bets together for a bigger payout. Let's say you got a couple of big favorites this week. Parlay wagers let you bet multiple games together, and if they all come through, you win big. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway, all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you got to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, and get paid. Back to speaking with Doug Plank, the great safety of Chicago Bears past, and a colleague of mine at Sports USA. I could talk to you, Doug, for several hours, and it's starting to feel like it already is about everything in football. But let's talk NFL Wild Card Weekend. Saturday, the first game, Buffalo at Houston. The Texans are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Deshaun Watson and his coach, Bill O'Brien, have never been able to get to that next level. And they got a tough home matchup in this one. And I actually love the way Buffalo is playing around, especially their defense has been outstanding. Yeah, and, you know, their defense coordinator was uh, Les Frazier, was a guy I played with in Chicago. Uh-huh. Had a lot of respect for Les and just smart guy. Um, players love to play for him, and that's why, you know, it's not his scheme. It's who he is. It's what he's able to do. And I'll be honest with you, the Houston uh, Texans, gosh, they're, this year they are frightening on how well they play some weeks, and then they go completely into the tank the next. Will the real they're, Houston Texans please stand up, basically, right? You never know. That's exactly it. It's, I, I, I just don't think, if I was a, a loyal uh, Houston fan, I, I don't know what to think. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I just think they've got some great players on that team, but, you know, they've just been unable to play with any sort of consistency and uh, I just think that, you know, Buffalo is going to be a tough out. I mean, that defense, wow, they play tough. And, um, you know, I saw them against the uh, Patriots uh, in New England. And, uh, man, they, they play hard. And, um, you know, they're, they're just a team that has the ability to go out and do things defensively. And, you know, and, and offensively they were always known as somebody who could never get it done. Well, they're getting it done this year. You know, they're running the ball pretty well. Um, they got decent, you know, quarterback and scheme. Um, so, I don't know. That's I would be leaning more towards the Buffalo Bills that time because I do think defense wins tough playoff games. Uh, I think they're going to have a tough time with dealing with that Buffalo defense. Did you talk to Leslie Frazier at all about uh, his experience there and how he's coming along? You know, you know, he's a, such a really nice guy. He's never angry or mad or anything like that. And even though there might be things that are maybe not going his way, you know, he talks about them in a very low tone. You know, he's very easygoing. I don't think I've ever heard him raise his voice or yell at anyone. But, you know, he, he can tell you in his presentation whether he likes what you're doing or he doesn't. And, you know, when you watch his defense, those guys are playing for him it's more than just, you know, X's and O's. They're, they love this guy. And 
I think their team is just playing with so much energy and intensity, creating turnovers, all those sort of things. I think the defense, the Buffalo defense, is going to be a big part of this game. I'm picking the Bills too. I'm taking the two and a half points and uh, and then getting on my knees and praying. It's a <laughs> it's a toss up game. You know there really are four great matchups this weekend and all for different reasons. And then Saturday you got Tennessee at New England. The latest weather report has uh, 33 degrees at game time. Snow, rain, winds 10 to 15 miles per hour. Uh, advantage run game. Give me Derrick Henry. No doubt about it. I mean, he's going to be somebody that's going to be tough to deal with. Um, you know, I've in recent years, I've seen this matchup, and New England didn't come away very happy. Uh, they got pushed all around the field. I think uh, they're not as physical up front. I'm talking about New England now. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is, you know, every season, it isn't like you win one game, lose the next game. Win one game, lose. Everything is, is it's, it's on momentum. And you look at these teams right now, and you got to say which team has more momentum. And you got to think right now all the questions that are being asked about the Patriots' offense and defense and Tom Brady, uh, even at home, you know, against the uh, you know the Dolphins. Uh, it's it's just you would never think that they that would happen. So with with that being the case, I mean, I realize Bill Belichick. Tom Brady are a tremendous pair uh, in terms of working together, and their players always do seem to rise to the occasion in terms of getting turnovers and playing offense or defense or making the touchdowns and all that sort of thing. But, you know, to watch one time, you know, Tennessee just absolutely destroy that Patriot team when they were down uh, in Nashville, um, I don't know. It's just... That's another toss-up game. You can't take the records and say, well, this team has a better record, so they're going to win. I don't think so. I, I, I really put this game as, as a toss-up. Just it's, Either team could win, and I wouldn't be surprised. And how do you see Tom Brady's situation right now? He's obviously not the same player he was a couple of years ago. His, all of his stats are down, but at the same time, uh, he doesn't have any playmakers, and Julian Edelman's playing hurt, uh, and his run game is real average. What is he supposed to do at 42? I don't know if he could do it at 32. No, I, I think the, the problem is nobody talks about it, but I think his offensive line is not doing nearly the job that they've done in the past. Absolutely. They're, not, they're not giving him enough time. He's getting hit back in that pocket. And I know players know that he knows, knows he's going to be there, but Tom still is very adept at getting away from uh, pass rushers and being able to you know, just extend plays and move horizontally. But, you know, it's the combination of their receiving core getting old, their pass-blocking situation, and really a lack of a running game. So other than Tom's arm, they don't have any other thing they can lean back on and say, we're going to win this game. We're better than the other team. That's, that's not enough. And even their defense, which had, you know, were outstanding last year, and even, even earlier in the year had really put up some great numbers as far as shutting down the – uh, running game and passing game, you know, they're they're capable of getting run. You know, you can run on them. Absolutely. And, I was going to say that combination right there, Doug, the average at best run defense right now against Derrick Henry, that doesn't look too good to me. No, it doesn't. And, you know, and I know it's going to be cold, but, you know, the, something about the running game, I've seen Walter Payton, you know, the, the 
MVP, uh, you know, Hall of Fame running back run in 20 degree weather, running even t- in the teens, in the 15, the 20 wow. degree. He's just like, give me the ball. I'll show you what I can do with it. And I'm going to run over people. And I know there's going to be a bunch of, you know, you can see my breath as I, as I breathe and all that kind of stuff. Uh, just, and no, no defense wants to see a, a guy that's punishing on the other side of the ball because, you know, when you get beat that way, Ted, it's like every person on the defense gets personally taken to the woodshed. It's not a pass. It's much easier to have your defense get beat by long passes. You point to the defensive back, go, you big jerk. You, you got beat and you lost us the game. Hey, when they run the ball, it's through the line. It's through the linebackers. It's through the safeties. It's through the corners. Everyone shares in that liability. And it's terrible when you come off the field to an Earl Campbell uh, 200, 300-yard performance and you know that you had a chance to stop him and it it didn't get done. Ryan Tannehill's 0-6 in his career in Foxborough, so it's going to be fascinating to see what he does. Of course, he was always with the Dolphins before in those games, but, hey, he's got to show up too. Yeah, you're right. But you know what? I I think – when they're watching this film right now, and I, I've never, I haven't watched the entirety of the, the Packer or the the, uh, the Patriots over the last couple of weeks, yeah. but I, I have to believe Ted that when he's watching those films and he's looking at the Patriot, you know, defense and their special teams and their offense, he's got to feel good about himself and, and good about the team, and say, no, we got a chance in this. You oh, know, our God. offense, we can, we can, time of possession, we can run the ball, we can eat up the clock. Uh, our defense, you know, they're not playing right now. We can cover their wide receivers. We can jam them at the line of scrimmage. We have a lot of things that the teams are doing right now. With the receivers they have, there's really no deep threats. You know, everything's possession passes, so they're playing man coverage now with the man free, and they're just saying, Tom Brady, you make the plays. You make the throws, because we're not going to give you any easy, wide-open receivers. Fascinating stuff. And you know, the one big storyline is, is this Tom Brady's last game ever in Foxborough? Uh, we could talk about that for two hours, but your quick thoughts on that. I think if it's a win, then most definitely he returns. If it's a loss, and um, then, then I think things are, things are different. Um, would they want to go ahead and make a change right away? I don't know. Maybe they'll bring somebody in, or maybe they feel like they've already got somebody uh, in, in the wings like uh, Garoppolo or whatever that you know can certainly have the strength, the, the leadership ability and skill, and be a guy that could step in for Tom Brady. But um, Good luck you know, with that. <laughs> I know. Unless they have that guy, I think – they may, you know, bring Tom on for another year. Well, remember, it's not just them. It's also Tom's a free agent. He can do whatever he wants. The question is, would he want to leave thinking, okay, you know, we're, this is a downward spiral now. Uh, where do I go from here? I, I think, though, you know, I think he looks at his remaining career, and I don't think Tom probably has five years left. No. He, you know, I think it's more, it's taking a year at a time right now. Yep. And I think, you know, there's been other players that have tried doing it, like Joe Namath and uh, other guys that have went ahead. O.J. Simpson went to other teams at the end of their career. And you know what? I think to some degree, Ted, you might feel differently, but I think it just sheds a kind of a, a lesser light on their career when you look back at it in total. It's like, okay, they, they weren't with this team the whole time. They were over here, and they spent a couple years 
with this other team, but, you know, clearly uh, things weren't the same, and they were just, you know, maybe playing out their contract or whatever. Uh, but, you know, I guess it doesn't matter, though, if you could put 32 to $40 million in your pocket. No, no, no it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> and then you don't really care who who, who makes a comment. Yeah, but cares? you know what? That legacy, I used to totally agree with you there, but, you know, Brett Favre ended up with the Jets and the Vikings, and, yeah. no, and nobody cares anymore. It's old news. He was a Packer. Willie Mays ended up, you know, with the Mets. Uh, yeah. Or Johnny Unitas with the Chargers, or Joe Namath with the Rams. So it's long forgotten. And uh, Ted, I, I agree with you. You, you know, know what? I mean? the, the memory is such short term. Exactly. Uh, those those memories are come and go so fast that you know. Uh, and I think players are really realizing the same thing. If we can go ahead and uh, you know make another year's salary, whatever the case might be. Unfortunately, in all those cases, no, none of them turned out better. You know. They were always in a better position with the team that they had previously been with. But, but you know... Time marches on, millions, though, right? I mean, what are you going to do? When it, when it comes to millions of dollars, hey, listen, I'm not going to complain or criticize anyone for their decision. And let's not forget all the millions and millions and millions of dollars that Tom Brady has sacrificed, although he doesn't need it and his wife's making more money than he is. It's not about that. He has sacrificed a lot of money to make his team better for all these years, and now it's like, well, what are you going to do for me? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, and it's very, you know, he's not, I mean, I know he's an emotional guy. You see that a lot of times like, on the sidelines, especially like during the Super Bowls when they'll show him all the time on the sidelines encouraging everybody. But I do think that everybody gets to a point or time in their life. You know, you only play so many games, you only get so many hits, you only have so many touchdown throws or whatever. And I think, you know, even if he ended today or this was his last season, I still think he would be happy with what he's done. Uh, I think he showed everybody in the National Football League what a six-round quarterback could do if they put their mind to it. And uh, we're given all the opportunities and tools to have success. And uh, so it's not as though he underperformed in any way, shape, or form. Um, he got with the right coach at the right time, with the right team, and it was magical. I still think it's very realistic that if Philip Rivers does not return with the Chargers and Brady's situation, specifically if he loses this first game, I would not be shocked if he ends up in L.A. to open up that new stadium. I just have a feel about it. Well, I have to agree. I mean, I think uh, weather-wise, I've been up in New England several times, and I didn't think it was too enjoyable, even with the window closed. <laughs> and you weren't so playing. I, thought, <laughs> <laughs> I have to agree with you, Ted. I, I think when you get towards the end of your, your career and you're over 30. Give and, me some uh, sun. You just, yeah, you just feel like, okay, I, I, do I really want to play in this freezing, cold, windy weather, no matter how much the fans love me? Um, and I, I'm sure sometimes he has to have thoughts as he goes down to Miami each year and plays down there, and maybe later in the year sometimes where you're coming from a freezing New England temperature down to uh, Florida, that, hey, this wouldn't be bad I'm sure. <laughs> half the time. So I, I, I think you've got a, a real good point there. Would I expect him to you know, be in Minnesota or well, maybe not Minnesota, not the Dome, or one of those cold weather situations? No way. <laughs> uh, probably not. I, I, w I wouldn't see him be a Chicago Bear. Uh, by the way, I think it's uh, hilarious that the winter storm that's going through Foxborough on Sunday is called Henry. 
Is that named after Derrick Henry, or what do you think? <laughs> How's that for timing? That is, that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> one of the most universal moments in time where everything just lined up. So, yeah, exactly. it's maybe that's a sign of things to come. You never know. How about Minnesota at New Orleans on Sunday in the Dome? True Breeze, to me, Nobody wants to get hurt, but missing five games early in the season, he is twice as fresh as he would ever be right now. Yeah, he is. And you, you know what? And I know both of them are dome teams right now, but, you know, anybody that's played in New Orleans uh, against that team, I, you know, personally, uh, just it's a, different, it's a different environment. It's a totally different situation. One of the toughest they, buildings to win at, right? Yes, it is. Absolutely. And uh, the crowd – just the atmosphere, uh, the team that they have right now, their defense is playing extremely well, the Saints. And, and I know the Vikings are tough, and I know their head coach from used to be in Atlanta. Uh, and so he's a good coach, and he's got a good staff. But the bottom line is I, it'd, be hard to, it'd be hard to go against the Saints. Kirk Cousins, though, too, has to show up. Uh, he's always been uh, like the guy in the, on a Monday night. I think he's 0 for a million, whatever it is. And this isn't Monday night. This is the big-time spotlight. Yeah, this is big. I mean, this is not something that you just, you know, it's not just every other game. And even for the players, I'm, I'm sure they're flooded with media requests this week uh, to be on radio, to be in newspaper articles, uh, magazines, you know, even locally, the local stations, interviews, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, it's just, it's just a flood of attention. And is it distracting? Yeah, it sure is, because anything that, that distracts you from your normal week, then it's not good. It's a negative. And, you know, you get to a point where sometimes you've, just by, uh, by a allowance of being interviewed and talking to people and things like that, all of a sudden... It's consumed four or five hours that you didn't have that week that now are going to take away from just your mental preparation and um, thinking, okay, this is going to be a lot of pressure on this game. I've got to do some, do this or that. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that the home field advantage is tremendous in the National Football League playoffs. And you go look at all the teams that have played over the years, last 10 years, and the ones that have played at home – I tell you what, they're, they're going to be have a winning record, not because they're just a better team or have a better record, but, you know, you get into those stadiums, especially late in the game, and it's overwhelming. You can't even think. It's so loud. Yep. And especially for your offense trying to make calls and signals and communication. And it only takes one play. I just, you know, watching some of these playoff games in college, wow, there's not there's a few games uh, – a play here, a play there, it makes, totally makes a difference in the game. And you only need one of those to go against you. So if I had to force you to make a call here, New Orleans, seven-and-a-half-point favorites. Are you laying it or are you taking it? Yes, New Orleans, New Orleans. Okay, me too. Me, me too. All right, and the final game, Seattle at Philadelphia. Uh, it's the walking wounded for both sides. Uh, they're <laughs> totally banged up. Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, fascinating uh, connection there. You know, Wilson's got an MVP-type season. This is Wentz's first Eagles playoff game. We keep forgetting that he's always hurt this time of the year. It's, it's amazing. I, you know, uh, I watched him against the Giants, and I thought the Eagles played consistent throughout the game. Uh, they were uh, playing hard. Uh, you know, they got a good defense. 
and uh, and Wentz is a, a good quarterback. I mean, he he makes great throws at key times, and uh, you know, it's just and, and it's it's hard playing a team that you know they they, they kind of believe in themselves. You know that they're going to get things done. On the other hand, you know Seattle has really shocked me several times. They won games that I didn't think they were going to win. And they lost other games. I did a game up there, I think it was early in the year, with the Saints. And uh, Saints, you know, played them and beat them. And, uh, you know, sometimes teams come in there and they just unexpectedly beat the Seahawks. You know, so they're not the the consistent team they used to be of years ago either. Even though they've got some great players. You know, sometimes they they, they just flop. They just have a terrible game. And you would never, ever expect it with all the players that they've had on that team. Um, so, and is Russell Wilson still a tremendous quarterback? You bet he is. I, I think that, you know, he's the difference between losing and winning a lot of games. You know, his run pass options and, and what he can do, looking downfield, making great throws, uh, it's, it's tremendous. And, and even getting hit, you know, many times he'll sacrifice his body for the team and run around the corner and, um, you know, give it up. He'll get hit hard and just jumps back up off the ground as fast as he can, gets back to the huddle. So, uh, well, that's going to be a tough one, too. Yeah, really. And, and you, both teams have lost so many key playmakers. Zach Ertz is questionable for this game. Even if he plays, there's no way he's close to 100%. And you no. bring in beast mode for Seattle. I mean, uh, what, Jim Brown wasn't available or what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what it is, though? I think he has a special relationship with the other Seahawks players. Of course. Don't you think? He is like the... Like like the firecracker, you know, you light it. There, there's a bunch of dynamite over there in that box, and he he, you take that that match and you throw it in there. That's beast mode. You throw him over here with the with the dynamite, and <laughs> I don't know. I, I think great things can happen. I mean, just having him around all week would be, I think, a tremendous asset for the team because, okay, you know, maybe he wasn't as close with all those players like over the last few years. The bottom line is, man, he's he's got something which I think is contagious, and I think he could bring it to that team. Sort of like the uh, it's a new energizer, right? You just throw into the mix. <laughs> it is, it is, and you know you can laugh at anything you wanted. I just remember remember watching him in games though. You're like when he was with the Seahawks. Oh yeah, he was incredible. I mean, just go, 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 run over people <laughs> and keep going and. And you say, oh, no, he can't do that. Oh, yeah, he can do it. And he is doing it. And it's just igniting everybody else. And it's just, you know, when you get to that point, Ted, the game becomes so much easier. You stop thinking about all the aches and pains and things like that. You're out there and you're moving the ball and you're doing wonderful things. You're like the happiest guy in the world. And nothing hurts. You can't wait for the next play. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's go to the next play. And you're so energetic, you don't even care about anything else. And I, I, I think, you know, he, he could be the missing element of what they really need in terms of just getting that team to perform. Because just watching them this last piece, past season, it's been disappointing a couple times. You know, yeah. not that they haven't lost all these games and things, but it just wasn't the same as it was a few years ago. You don't see that same amount of energy and emotion and and, and although you see great plays and great catches and all that sort of thing, 
it just isn't quite the same. That's well, that crowd that is deafening. You know, well, they lost four deafening. games at home this year. I mean, they used to get four games in like five years, maybe. I know, I know. It's exactly right. You know, that, that crowd wasn't as deafening. Yep. There wasn't as many people yelling and screaming. And, uh, well, they're going to have they're going to be having people yelling and screaming at Philadelphia at them. So, <laughs> you know, this game being in Philly, uh, stay away from stuff flying through the air over there. Who knows, right? <laughs> you know what? One of the worst, I, I, I would just say, one of the most uh, unwanted places to play in the National Football League is in Philadelphia. Because you get any of things thrown at you and said to you that you've never heard before, and. Um, not going to be a pleasant experience. So who do you like? Seattle minus one and a half points. It's unusual for them to be any team to be a road favorite in the playoffs in the wild card like this, but Philadelphia is so banged up. You know what? You're, you are so right, Ted. My first initial instinct would be to pick Philadelphia, but then you start looking at the players that are injured, that are nicked, and ones that are not going to play. And you watch them now, and you see each game, even like against the Giants, the Giants did a few things in that game, yeah. you know, that you know ran the ball and made some other throws that you just wouldn't, wouldn't expect. You weren't going to expect them out of the Giants, you know, for not the year that they had. Um, and they had some, they gashed them. They gashed the Eagles' defense a couple times with long runs. And there was three and four guys that had a chance to make the tackle, and they just didn't make it. Barkley, you know, a couple times just was embarrassing. Yep. You know, how many guys he ran over and ran through. So uh, I ordinarily would take the Eagles any situation in At home. Philadelphia. Right. But I'm going to go out on a limb here. I, I think the uh, Seahawks are going to come a little bit more emotionally prepared and want this game a little bit more. I totally agree with you. I'm laying the one and a half points, and again, I'm getting on my knees and praying. Because <laughs> I, I don't trust either team right now, so, no. but somebody's got to no. win, right? You know what, Ted, you are so right. It's just a toss-up anymore. There were so many times, I, I was always a Seahawks fan, and I just watched some of their games this year. I just couldn't understand why. Why they, they didn't do that. Why they didn't stop them. Why they didn't score a touchdown. Um and uh, they had so many chances. Well, they've and, gone through a transition, too. You know, this whole defense is very different than it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it is. But, again, you gotta have uh, you got to have the players. No, that's true. No, no, you're right. And, you know, um, and even look at, uh, look at the, uh, you know, you lose three running backs just to bring Marshawn Lynch back into the mix. Yes. And now, yes, you're right. and then, and, and, you know, you, you lost a couple of key receivers. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do to score. Russell Wilson's going to run around for his life. Mike. No, but he's got the ability to do it. Oh, absolutely. And think, you know, and, and I, I think of the Eagles defense, and they're a good defense, but they're not an overpowering defense. You know, they're not no. the Ravens defense of old or the Bears or anything like that. They're they're a good, solid defense and with linebacker safeties. And, you know, they play coordinated. Uh, but, again, I just watching them last week against the Giants. You know, the Giants – gashed him on a few plays, as I said before, both running and passing, which surprised me. Honestly, it surprised me. I thought, not the Giants. They can't do that against you. But they, they were. They were doing it. And so, and you think of the Seahawks, you know, they they can put together a one-game effort. I mean, uh, there were some games this year they didn't play very well and lost and, you know, disappointing. But it's down to one game now. And that's what's crazy about this. It's, it's a one-game series, and if you don't win, you don't go on. 
How great are the wild card playoffs, though, every year? Because you never know what the hell is going to happen, right? <laughs> no, it's absolutely fun. And, you know, here's the other guy, thing. I've I, been watching, like, these bowl games the last few days, sure. last week. Um, it's a bowl game. Which except, means, by the way, the, except for our Independence Bowl, you didn't have to see that one. That was brutal yeah, that we, we had on our air. <laughs> I'm still waiting for it to finish. <laughs> <laughs> that. You know what, Ted? That was a rough one. It that was, was a rough bad. one to it watch. Was really bad. Uh, that Outback Bowl, though, the other day. Yeah, it was good. You, you know, you look at a team and go, you know what? Minnesota, you, you compared them with the Auburn Tigers, you know, maybe physically, height, weight, running distance, all that sort of thing, speed. You'd have to give it to Auburn. But you know what? I, I give it, I give their head coach tremendous credit because their staff put together one heck of a. You're talking about PJ Fleck. P.J. Fleck. Yeah, I well, mean, he's an impressive guy. There's no doubt. He's got a little Doug Plank in him, actually, the way he is. I out know. There. You know what it is? Oh, this is what I loved about the guy. After the game, all half the crowd that was in that stadium went down there and were just trying to love him up, give him a hug, whatever. And even the players. I mean, it was. I love watching emotion take sure. place on the football field and guys just hugging each other for no reason <laughs> other than we just won a game and. This is great, and we'll remember this the rest of our lives. And uh, and truly, they put together a game plan, crossing routes, uh, double reverses. They they did everything they could to get the Auburn team out of position, and it worked. And it worked. And they they did give up a few big, big plays. They gave up a kickoff tack, uh, yeah. return for yeah. a touchdown. Uh, they 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 missed covering a, a six six tight end. Down the middle with nobody on him. Nobody was in he caught the ball, ran for a touch. All I'm saying is, when it came down to it, they did it, and they were determined. They were they played as one. They were definitely a team, and, and that's why I say with all these games right now, it's not necessarily about who has the best players. What when you talk about a team, a team is the players and the coaching staff, and if that coaching staff can't correlate a game plan with the players, then they're going to lose. But if they're in sync and they can see the weaknesses and play off the weaknesses of the other team, then they're a powerful force to beat. And Minnesota showed that. And they just came down and just the Tampa, and they took control of that game. And I know we're talking about the NFL, but this is true of any any game. You know, if you do the, get the right game plan put together and you're willing to take some chances, if you can take some chances – then those are going to result probably in touchdowns. And by the way, let's not forget Minnesota Gophers were going for the 11th win for the first time in 115 years, and they got it. So a little incentive there too, right? Amazing. You know, and every time I played Minnesota when I was at Ohio State, they would have these incredible records up of teams in the past, in the 60s. You guys you probably know, beat them by 50 every time, though, in those days. We did, but you know what? Um <laughs> You know, the thing was, Ted, I'm thinking, wow, this was a great team. What happened to it? How would how was it allowed to drop like this? It's a hockey and I was school. Thinking, <laughs> That's why. Exactly. It I was is. just watched, like, watching Miami this year, the University of Miami. Yeah. How did this team get to this stage? Oh, man, do they have uh, a big turnaround to make. They've got a huge turnaround. But it's, it goes back to what you and I talked about, Ted. I don't think it's just about the players. I And I'm not criticizing their coach. I'm just saying – those players were not fired up. They weren't emotional. And that means so much. I mean, if you play a little bit better and the guy next to you plays a little bit better and the guy next to you, all of a sudden you've got something. It's called momentum and emotion. And you'll never quit. And you keep going. And I just didn't see that when they came out, it, whether it was the beginning of the game, the end of the game, 
um, I just think there was a lack of concentration and emotion and energy, which, you know, could have could have won him the game. Yeah, well, emotion's huge, obviously, in football as it is in a lot of sports, but even the layperson would say, if you don't have an emotion uh, on your side that you really want to win this wild card game, I don't think you should be playing. I mean, it's like you shouldn't need a buddy, Ryan, to get in your face. You know, it's one of those things, too. You have to realize, hey, this is a wild card. You're lucky to be in, so make the most of it. And I, like I said, I, if I was talking to the coaching staff, I'd say, listen, treat this game like it's the last game of your life. You do everything you can to l- give these guys a chance to win. You know, yeah. whether um, you know it's it's a total, it's whether it's something you, you totally, you know, it's it's it's, it's unexpected. Uh, you've never worked on it. You know, it's funny. Like sometimes teams will come out, even in the NFL, Ted. And they come out in a formation or whatever that you've never seen before. And you almost want to walk up to them and say, no, you guys can't do that because <laughs> we never saw that this week in practice. Right. You, we, we never practiced against this formation. You guys can't do this. Well, of course they can. You know what? And the smart teams do that. They show you formations and runs and other things that they've never shown before. And This and is it, the time it, to do it, too, right? This is the time to do it, Ted. I mean, come on. This is not the first game of the year. Exactly. You're going home. You're going home if you don't win this. So you better bring everything you got. And, you know, I'm talking about getting a good night's sleep the night before and saying, hey, listen, guys, we're playing like this is our last game. Um, and I really respect Minnesota because they continued to do that sort of an attitude the whole game. And they ran some incredible plays, some double reverse passes and yeah. things like that that just totally fooled the Auburn defense. Coach Blake, I'm running through a wall for you after that speech. I don't know what else <laughs> I could say. <laughs> well, you know what it is? It's, you know, it, it, when you get the players on your side, wow, it's a powerful force. And, you know, then you don't even have to go around and start trying to encourage each, each and every one of them. They do it by themselves. They go out there. And you've instilled enough of a, a attitude and a direction that you know what they they all motivate each other. There's no there's almost like no leaders on the unit because they're all trying to ignite each other. And it's 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 most enjoyable experience. I'll say one of the top five that I ever had in my life. You know, just being sure. around something like that for a short period of time. Boy, you know how rare it is for some guys, no matter how good you are, you don't get a lot of opportunities to get into the playoffs and do something special, and you better make the most of it. It is, you know, and, and really, and you can see it in the teams that have it, Ted. They've got that message, and you can see it in the teams that haven't got that message. Or, you know, especially like as the game goes down, something bad happens to them, and then all of a sudden everything goes down a ratchet. You know, they're not as much effort, not as much enthusiasm. No, you've got to take in life. I always took whatever bad happened to me, and I used it as a motivating factor. If I missed a tackle, then I was trying to tackle the next guy twice as hard, twice as fast. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about the past play, but you can have an impact on something going forward. And, you know, it's those sort of things, that kind of mental attitude that, is it, it, wins, it wins games for people. And yep. on the flip side, you know, if you come out and you're, you're disappointed, you're behind in the game, hey, listen, this is football. The games can change quickly. Uh, we've seen that over these last weekends. How many times teams were behind the Ohio State game? You know, teams behind, all of a sudden, boom, they're, you know, they're, they're uh, 
Clemson comes out and they they're on the scoreboard and they got momentum and I mean you can just see watching games. I love when they when they uh, get the camera on the sidelines. You can just see <laughs> what team is winning and what team is losing. You don't even have to see a scoreboard. The sidelines tell you the story. When they're winning, everybody's jumping up and down, encouraging each other. On the flip side, if they're losing, they're like walking around, their heads down. I mean, I don't make it as simple as that, but it is, Ted. This is a pretty simple game. And, you know, you just continue to keep that going play after play after play. It's it's contagious. I just wish they kicked the damn ball off right this second. Doug. It'll happen sooner than you think. I It'll know. be here before you know it. It was a total pleasure talking football with you, Doug. I could do it forever, and uh, we, we need to do this again before the playoffs are up. And I want to talk about the LSU game with you and Clemson. Uh, maybe we can do it again next week. I would love to. Honestly, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's got two teams that don't think they can lose, and uh, that's what's great about it. I mean, it's going to be, uh, I think, just great matchups. Great, Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's, and it's like I said, they've both been winners the entire season, and that's what makes it so special. I mean, you could, like, watch Ohio State that first time they lost. Man, I see the coach, the players' faces. Man, it's like someone just took your heart out of your chest. It's like Absolutely. We, we were going to win. We were going to go on and be in the playoffs. Now it's over. And, uh, wow, it's such discouragement. That's what you talked about, though, Ted. This football game is, is so similar to life. And, you know, there's things in life, sometimes you, you get things that go the wrong way and you don't get picked for a job or you, you're not the per- lucky person that got something and all of a sudden you got to just kind of recover. It's just like in football. You get off the ground, some, somebody just ran over top of you and he's in the end zone and celebrating right now. And you, there's the feeling of, of fatigue and disappointment and desperation and defeat is so strong you keep saying, okay, i, I got to get back in this game. i got to do something. And uh, it's that kind of a mental, mental attitude, which I think, you know, is a great learning experience for football, you know, later in life. Doug, you should write another book called Get Back Up, the way you learned how to, uh, off, the, <laughs> off the grass, right? <laughs> yes, or land on top of the pile. That's better. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I've been at the bottom of a few piles. That's not, not a good place to be. No, hell no. <laughs> a good place to be. Doug, thanks again for the time. I appreciate it. And maybe we can do this again next week. It would be fun. All right, great, Ted. I look forward to it. Thank you. Again, thanks big time to Doug Plank for joining us here on Touch of Greatness, the podcast. He's as geeked as I am about the start of the NFL playoffs and looking forward to maybe talking to him again next week and throughout the postseason as we have some amazing matchups ahead. So until next time, I am still Ted Sobel. Thank you for listening to Touching Greatness, the podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network. And enjoy the wild card weekend, everybody. Everyone has a favorite photo. Now you can turn yours into canvas wall art at canvasworld.com. Canvasworld.com will print your photograph on a handcrafted custom canvas at the size of your choice. They combine the latest technology and environmentally friendly inks to produce canvas prints that are higher quality than ever available before. And they guarantee their work for life. Maybe that's why six of the country's top 10 hotel chains choose Canvas World. Their prices are a fraction of what you'd pay elsewhere. And it's easy. Just upload your photo, choose a size, and you're done. They'll even digitally retouch
shot your photo absolutely free. Place your order at canvasworld.com today and save 35%. Plus, get free shipping when you enter promo code photo at checkout. Get big canvas prints at big savings at canvasworld.com and save 35% and get free shipping when you enter promo code photo at checkout. Order yours today at canvasworld.com. That's canvasworld.com, where photos become art. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.